Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Campfire Conversation Podcast. I'm your host, Cole Kelly. Having worked in the summer camp industry for the past two decades, I'm convinced that summer camp professionals have a unique view on kids and young adults. I am certain that the stories that they've earned by working with and alongside thousands of kids and staff members from literally all over the world can be useful to parents, teachers, coaches, and mentors back home. So each week, I spend some time around the digital campfire with the leaders and thinkers of the summer camp world. We share stories, we laugh, we learn together, which really, when you think about it, is what we've been doing around campfires for as long as campfires have been around. So I hope that you'll spend the next few minutes around this digital campfire with me to see how you can take some of the magic and fun of summer camp and apply it to your life back home. This Campfire Conversation podcast is brought to you by our friends at Scope, who send hundreds of children from financially disadvantaged families to summer camp each year. Kate and I have supported Scope since our first summer in camping 17 years ago, and I'm thrilled they're supportive of this podcast. Stick around to the end of this Campfire Conversation to learn more about Scope, or press pause and head on over to them on the web at scopeusa.org. Joining me around the campfire is one of the more thoughtful summer camp directors that I know. I met Steve Baskin many years ago on a lake actually in Maine and was immediately impressed with all the great questions that he asked and the very colorful shirts that he wore. Since that time, I've continued to learn alongside Steve at the conferences and through his writing that he's been putting out very generously for a long time. Alongside his bride, Susie, Steve is the owner and director at Camp Champions just outside of Austin, Texas. He's given a TED Talk, written a great deal for Psychology Today, directed one of the largest summer camp conferences in the country, and raised five great kids. Recently, Steve introduced me to an idea called Anti-Fragile Kids. I thought the conversation with him would be a perfect addition to the recent talk I just had with Bob Ditter about the rise of anxiety in our kids. I hope you'll enjoy this campfire conversation with Steve Baskin. Steve Baskin, thank you for, for joining me around the campfire. Thank you, Cole. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So you've been in camping for a mighty long while. In fact, I think you and I first met on a camp tour uh, on a boat in Sebago Lake in Maine. This probably That's exactly my memory. Yeah, yeah, it was a long time ago. If I remember correctly, uh, Susie might have even had a glass of wine <laughs> with her, and I think I was trying to look and try to find out where, where you could get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, h- how did you get into camping? Well, uh, I first went to camp as a very insecure eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. I grew up in West Texas, and uh, if you don't know anything about West Texas, and this, uh, I share the story a lot, but uh, West Texas cares about football and almost nothing else. <laughs> and my older brother, who's 10 years my senior, was the, the football star. Mm-hmm. He was tiny. He was only 5'8", but he was the all-district center in the same district that would later become the basis of Friday Night Lights. Oh, wow. And he was... You know, uh, they made a Mighty Mouth uh, float for the homecoming parade with his jersey number on it. His nickname is Mighty Mouth. And everyone loved my brother, and everyone wanted me to follow his footsteps. Mm-hmm. And I was asthmatic, who was allergic to Bermuda grass. So, <laughs> so much know, for football. I was not meant to be a football player. And I had a lot of people look at me like, you know, I was a failure. I was a disappointment. And, uh, even though your parents, of course, say, oh, no, you're not a disappointment, you're wonderful, when everyone else is looking at you like you're never going to measure up, it sinks in. 
And that summer, my parents absolutely, against my will, sent me to summer camp. And I arrived terrified, hoping the whole thing would somehow end. And a young 20-year-old got down on one knee, looked me straight in the eye, and this huge smile said, wait, you must be Steve. Oh, man, that's awesome. I'm Bill. I get to be your counselor. You know, the rest of the guys, we've been waiting all day long for you to be here. But we're about to have the best summer ever. Come on, let's go. And for five weeks, this 20-year-old, and if you can remember when you're eight, a 20-year-old mm-hmm. is Ancient. like a demigod. <laughs> right. Right? He acted as if his life was made complete because I was in it. And I came home never worried about football again and really, truly believing that who I was was spectacular. It didn't need an excuse. It was different from my brother. And I think it was the point where I began to see not only uh, learn about myself, but start to understand the transformative uh, capacities of camp experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to say I went to college to be a camp person, but to business school to be a camp person. Actually, I, I dabbled in consulting and investment banking for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in business school, I realized I only had one life, and if I was going to spend it doing something, I wanted to do something that would make a difference. And having spent 11 years going to the camp I attended, I saw life after life after life be improved through the experience. So I decided, well, I've got just the one life. Why not be a camp professional? So since 1993, uh, I have been directing and running summer camps. Oh, that's fantastic. I love it. Well, and, and as you know, I, I'm certainly there with you. We, we only do have one life. we got one go at this. And we might as well do our best to create experiences where it's going to make you know, the world better around us. Um, and and oh, camp, camp has certainly done that. One of the things that, that you've written and talked a lot about lately was this idea of, of creating you know, anti-fragile kids. And it's, I, I had a great conversation with our mutual friend, Bob Ditter, about anxiety and, and how it's on the rise in children. You're coming at this from you know, kind of a solution standpoint. So, all right, well, we've got this situation going on in the world around us where children are becoming more and more anxious and parents are, frankly, are becoming more and more anxious. And yet you're looking at it from the standpoint of, all right, we're going to create some anti-fragile people. Can you walk me through what does that really mean to you, where, where you got it from? Okay, well, let me start with the definition, and then I'll back up as to uh, why this has become my obsession. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually, this is not brand new idea. I think the book came out five or six years ago. It was written by a man named uh, Nassim Taleb. Or mm-hmm. Taleb. Mm-hmm. He also wrote a book called The Black Swan. Black Swan and he's yep. mostly a financial uh, writer. Mm-hmm. And he was arguing uh, that we need a word that's the opposite of fragile. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if something like a crystal glass is dropped on the floor, it shatters. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fragile. And if a, a red solo cup falls on the floor, nothing happens to it. It's neither better nor worse. Mm-hmm. It's resilient. Mm-hmm. But and in this particular case, he was talking about financial systems. Mm-hmm. But its application to humanity is is staggering. Is that there are certain things that not only are not destroyed by challenges, but actually need them to improve. They need them to become robust and fully developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most classic example is your immune system. You know, right, you want, sure. you know, if through vaccinations are a way to do this, but if your child has a lot of uh, exposure to different germs at a young age, mm-hmm. he or she is less likely 
to have a severe reaction later in life. Astronauts, they go into out of orbit, stop having their bones stressed, and they come back and their bones are fragile. Huh. Your muscles are anti-fragile. They, if you exercise them, they become more limber and more strong. Mm-hmm. And I am absolutely convinced that human beings are anti-fragile, that by being exposed to challenging situations, we become not worse for them, not neutral as a result, but we become more capable of experiencing the next challenging situation or just more capable of functioning on a day-to-day basis. We have a better immune system. We have stronger bones. We have stronger muscles. These are just emotional muscles, Mm -hmm. as it were. And why this gets me so excited is, you know, I've spent the last 25 years trying to figure out how camps can best impact families mm-hmm. and children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what is the argument for this kind of crazy experience? You know, you're asking a parent <laughs> to separate themselves from their most precious person to some people that they, you know, certainly don't know like a family. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, it takes time, it takes money, it takes resources. Why should someone do that? And I think right now, there has never been a greater need for the camp experience. And it comes down to a little bit what Bob Ditter was talking about, is I think we are simply more anxious now. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I have not, actually you haven't released the podcast, so I haven't heard it yet. But there are a lot of contributing factors out there. I mean, I think the way we education tends to stress uh, high stakes high stakes testing mm-hmm. uh, I think parents are developing some really uh, panicked narratives mm-hmm. there's a, a narrative of scarcity which is oh my gosh there's not enough jobs out there so if my child doesn't get a good job he'll be on my couch at age 26 so I got to make sure he gets the right job which means He's got to get the right internships while going to the right college, which means he's got to have the right SAT scores and the right AP classes. And before you know it, they've got to be in the right pre-K preparatory classes and listening to Mozart in utero. Yeah, you go down that that rabbit hole of perfection very, very quickly to the detriment of of everybody in in the situation. Well, what's interesting about it is if you have this narrative of scarcity, or this narrative that everything has to go just right or you're never going to get a job or you're never going to be successful, that every test is uh, critical to your survival, you end up creating uh, chronic stress. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not going to get deep into neuropsychology, but uh, there is a a hormone called cortisol, Mm -hmm. and it is the hormone we release our body releases if we're suddenly chased by a bear. Right. It's Thankfully, that triggers. doesn't happen very much anymore, but yes. <laughs> it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Lastly, I have yet to be chased by a bear. <laughs> but if we are chased by a bear or a lion or tiger, mm-hmm. our body releases cortisol, and it basically shuts down most of your brain except for the part that focuses on fight or flight. Yep. It redirects the glucose to your big muscles, the blood supply to your big muscles. You don't worry about digestion. And it's very, very useful to get away from the bear. Right, And then five minutes afterwards, the bear is either eating you or all your cortisol is out of your system. Right, and you crash. (laughs) 
you, you crash, absolutely, right. but you're, you're free of it. But what if the bear never goes away, Cole? Right. What if the bear is a perfectionist? Or what if the bear is that you have to have five extracurriculars and you have to be getting this grade point average and you have to get to the right school? That bear never goes away. Mm-hmm. And you actually, oddly enough, see a similar thing happening with very, very disadvantaged families as well, where the bear mm-hmm. is poverty. Right, economic need. Not, not knowing where the next, the, the next meal is coming from, sure. Meal or shelter or yeah. you don't feel safe or you're worried about, uh, you know, does the system, is it stacked against you, whatever it might be. But if that bear doesn't go away, you have also chronic cortisol stress. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it impairs uh, the development of a critical part of your brain, which is your prefrontal lobe, mm-hmm. which is the part of your brain where you're able to project yourself into the future, assess risk, mm-hmm. make good decisions. Right. And you tend to, you know, act as if you don't have a, a future as much, and you make less good decisions. So what I, I mentioned in one of my talks I, I did uh, at a reunion of my business school was that loving, adoring parents who are doing everything in their power to stack the deck so that their child could get into the right school to provide long-term advantage for the child, might actually be baking in long-term disadvantage. They're baking in anxiety. Yeah. They're baking in an inability to sort of uh, make good executive function decisions going forward. And so you know, one of the challenges I think parents have, and I think it comes from kind of three areas, is what I call overparenting. And it can be, sometimes it's no-plow parenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I call it competitive parenting. You know, if all your neighbors are involved in four extracurriculars, will you sure feel like a bad parent if you're not? Mm-hmm. But I think there are sort of three reasons that parents overparent. And the first is they do not want their child to ever feel suffering or even discomfort. Right. And just right? by doing that alone, they, they take them out of those opportunities to be anti-fragile. Right. Without those challenges. Exactly. I mean, I have the distinct memories of coming home at a friend named Brian Pilgrim. And Brian Pilgrim and I, about three times a year, when we were in like sixth or seventh grade, would get into yelling, screaming, you know, throw something across the room at each other, at one point even kind of pushing mm-hmm. matches. Mm-hmm. And I would come home and tell my mom about how horrible Brian Pilgrim was and, of course, how righteous I was to be <laughs> to behave the way I was. And my mom would just smile and say, wow, I'm so sorry that happened. I know that must be very frustrating for you. Uh, let me know how you work it out. <laughs> the, the clear implication is I was going to work it out, and it wasn't her problem. Right. And one thing is it made it so that she wasn't saving me. She wasn't uh, adjudicating the problems for me. But she also sent me the very clear, loving message that you've got this. Steve. Yeah. Uh, That's a powerful our, moment. No, it is a powerful book. Yeah. In fact, she shares this one story. Uh, I not only have a brother that's 10 years old, but a sister who's 11 years old. And my mom picked her up from school the very first day of kindergarten. And as they're driving home, my mom asked my sister, how was school? Fine. How was your teacher? She's nice. Did you get to draw? It was fun. Was, you know, what else was fun? Recess. Well, anything else happened? Oh, yes. Well, uh, Robert Johnson pulled my hair. He did what? 
She pulls the car along the side, gives her undivided attention, and wants the blow by blow by blow of what Robert Johnson did mm-hmm. to make her unhappy. Next day, she picks my sister up and says, how was your dating day? And my sister says, you won't believe what Robert Johnson did. <laughs> and my mom, who I credit with almost superhuman wisdom, had this light bulb go off and said, oh my gosh, I've told her what story to focus on. Yeah. I've told her I want the story of how she was a victim and how I'm swooping in and rescuing her. So she drives home, sits her down and says, Robert Johnson, just a silly little boy. Tell me about your teacher. Got it. So she changed, helped her change the narrative. Yes. Which then therefore and, and changes this, her, her everything going forward. Exactly. So this is the thing ultimately that anti-fragility is a part of, is if I could give my child four children, but if I could give any child a single gift, wealth, intelligence, height, the athleticism, the top rating, whatever it might be, it would be a positive and highly functional narrative. Hmm. The belief that there aren't problems, there are opportunities. Mm-hmm. That failure is a way to learn. Failure is not a disaster. That everywhere around you there are people who want to help and you just got to find them. Hmm. Yep. And that you know, that which does not kill us only makes us stronger. Mm-hmm. And the uh, that's the, the, the baseline of anti-fragility. And you see it in in the writing, in the wisdom of the ages. You, you see mm-hmm. it in the Stoics. You see it in religions. It's only recently we've come to believe that protecting our children from any discomfort is our job as parents. Yeah. And it's interesting, Steve, you know, I'm sure you have these conversations too, but when I'm in a home talking with families um, about the idea of going to, to camp, the question comes up, well, well, what happens, you know, if they miss home or what do you guys do if there's someone in the bunk who's, you know, mean? And at that point, I feel like I have to really start teaching and say, that's actually a good thing. And to me, it's not a function of if your child misses home, it's when they miss home, because there is struggle at camp. There is failure at camp. You know, whether you don't get up the wall or you flub the line or whatever it is, but we want that because that's the only place that you get to learn. Well, it, it, 100%. And we're better at it in some ways, or at least better positioned than the parents. Mm-hmm. You know, we, a little bit of separation. A, well, there's the separation, and there's also the instincts. Uh, I had uh, three years ago, one of my girl campers had a Fahrenheit. I think she was nine. Mm-hmm. And uh, she set a goal to only get a, a certain distance from the climbing wall. But her counselor was there and encouraging her. She got all the way to the top, about 42 feet, rang the cowbell, came down. She was seven feet tall. She was <laughs> glowing. She uh, comes back two months later for family camp. Mm-hmm. And she wants to show her mom how she could climb. She gets about halfway up and she goes, Mommy, I'm scared. She goes, It's okay, sweetheart. You can come down now. Yeah. And, and I get that, right? Mom heard her daughter struggling mm-hmm. and didn't want her to struggle, mm-hmm. didn't want her to feel that discomfort. And was it, you know, without taking a step back and saying, what is the, the reduction of the short-term discomfort now imply for five years from now, it was just the immediately addressing the child's discomfort. Right. And so I think it can't, 
there's a, a little bit more of an inclination to say, no, no, it's our job. But be clear, challenge by choice. Mm-hmm. You never, and you know this, Cole, we yeah. never make a kid go yeah. all the way up. Nope. Once the child really does shut down, you bring them down. Mm-hmm. But the, hey, gosh, I'm so proud of you. Can you give me one more handhold? Right. Wow, that was amazing. How about, can you move your right leg up? Are you okay? Are you feel all right? Can you mm-hmm. do it? Man, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That is, we understand that we might be one of the few places that's doing that. Right. Allowing the, uh, creating an environment for safe risks uh, and but supported fact, risks. Yeah, I, I like to joke with people that it's sort of like uh, a sack deck. I used to call it an arbitrage, but no one likes that <laughs> term. So, a little too Harvard uh, MBA there. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. But uh, the idea, there are certain investments out there, if you have uh, more information than the rest of the market, mm-hmm. where you're taking you know, X amount of risk with the promise of 5X return. Mm-hmm. That's sometimes called an arbitrage. Right. What I say camp is, is that the child is in an environment where they really feel like, the parents aren't here. I'm on my own. I'm striking out. I'm conquering the world. And they get 100% of the psychological benefit of that. But they aren't in a mm-hmm. place that's indifferent to them. Mm-hmm. They're in a place that is loving their child almost as much as the parent and watching them a little bit better. Right? You know, I joke that I would let my kids play in my backyard without watching them, but I don't let your kids yeah, play that's right. <laughs> in our backyard without somebody kind of watching them. That's right. <laughs> but we're not, you know, adjudicating every disagreement. Right. We're not uh, denying them the opportunity to try and fail. And it gives them the opportunity to sort of develop their anti-fragility, to build up their muscles, not of just resilience, but of increased capability mm-hmm. and increased capacity over time. Mm-hmm. So I love what you said earlier. I actually am writing a piece of it inseminates the first-time parents that say, it is my hope that these four things will happen. Your right. child will be homesick and get over it. Mm-hmm. Because when she later goes to college, she'll have an advantage her friends don't have. I want him to have a disagreement with uh, a friend and get to resolve it on his own. Mm-hmm. I want him to tr- fail and fail and fail, and then through per- perseverance, eventually accomplish. Get yeah. up on skis, get up on the climbing wall. Mm-hmm. And I want her to fail and not overcome it, because sometimes we do have to just deal with some with disappointment. And I want them to have all those experiences while they're also making the best friends and learning songs and getting to do crazy events and fun activities. But I used to think that those struggles, those you know, the homesickness or the cabin conflict was sort of you know, the uh, pain that goes with the game. Right, mm-hmm. it's sort of the, the price you pay for all the other joys of camp. Right, and now, Cole, I believe the pain is the game. Right, I believe that is where we're giving children evidence that they will conquer, and they're just—you know this. There's not a year that goes by I don't have half a dozen, if not a dozen, stories of either campers or parents describing their freshman in college or themselves mm-hmm. if they're freshman in college mm-hmm. helping their homesick classmates. <laughs> yep. Get through that first period. They're not the ones going home. Their friends are. Right. But they're just better prepared and better capable of dealing with it. Well, like you said earlier, it, they've in some ways built up their immune system. You know, they, they've exactly gone it through it and they've dealt with it and they've, they've learned how to do it. So 
one of the things that you said earlier, and and I, I think it's an interesting way to think about it. You know, we're able at camp to do things that we're not able to do at home. If we're we're there to help create anti-fragile children, but as as a dad of three boys and and you've got four, you know, we want to create anti-fragile kids back home. So, what do you think that we can do back home? What do you think that parents and teachers can can learn from the camp experience? To say, all right, back home, we're going to do things like this or some ideas. What what would you suggest? What would be some of your ideas for, for families back home? I think the first thing I would say to any parent is I would vehemently make the argument about the importance of narratives and anti-fragility. Mm-hmm. That, uh, well, actually, what I'll tell parents is that think of you have two jobs as a parent. You have protect slash provide. Mm-hmm. And the second job is prepare. Right. And on the day you bring that baby home from the hospital, you better be 100% in the protect and provide category and nothing in the prepare. Right. And I kind of feel like every single day you ought to be doing a little bit less in the first category, a little bit more in the second category. So by the time your child is leaving for college, you know, other than like helping pay for college maybe, you're out of the protect and prepare business. They're about to go stay out as late as they want, manage their own lives. If they need, you know, mom or dad to adjudicate the problems at that point, you haven't prepared them. Mm-hmm. But I think if parents think it is my job to protect them always from pain, they are too slow to get into the preparation. Yeah. Right? So there are a couple of different advices I give parents. and One is, and this is hard in the world of competitive parenting, but do less. <laughs> that is hard. <laughs> yeah. Your child got in a fight. Oh, my gosh. That's so hard. Are you, do you feel safe? Okay. Well, I know that must you know, hurt your feelings that you had a fight with your best friend. I'm sure you'll work it out. Let me know how you work it out. Right. If you have – I'll tell you right now. I have three in college. One's a, a senior. They were all very, very, very good students. And between my wife and I, we spent less than 50 hours doing homework with them. Yeah. That's less than an hour per kid per year. <laughs> and and my, my response is I have this, you know, in my office I have my college diploma. And I point to it. I say, I've already done this. Right. You go do it. So, That's right. This you is do. your job. That's right. Because, but I think parents think, oh, my gosh, every grade is important. Or the classic is the science fair. Right. You know, we have a science fair. No, 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 no. Your child has a science fair. Right. And I would say consistently, my kids' science fairs were right in the middle of the fairway because they got zero parent help on it. Right. It's funny. And, I, I, I ran the Cub Scouts for a long time and, and finally got to the point with the, the Pinewood Derby that we would have a, a Cub Scout Pinewood Derby and then we would have a parent Pinewood Derby. <laughs> <laughs> Just finally, just admit that's where we are. Let's, let's admit this, guys. And they loved it. The dads loved it. And so did the kids, because the kids then got to really do just their own thing, and the parents got to do their own thing. And it, it worked out great. Actually, actually inspired. You know, <laughs> instead of damming the river, just redirect let's, let's do this. <laughs> I mean, I have teachers that will, uh, you know, give a kid a bad grade and then realize that when the parent is adamant, not just because they want their child to have a better grade, it hurt their feelings because the parent actually wrote it. Oh, no. I mean, that's obviously way, way, way over the, the other right. end. Right, right. But, but I would happening. Think, yeah. 
do less. Let your child do her own homework. Mm-hmm. Let your son fight his own battles. Mm-hmm. If he's not getting enough playing time, ask him what he might do to say to the coach to get more, but don't lobby with the coach. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. If and, and then spend more time thinking in terms of how to transform their so there's actually a running joke in our family about there aren't problems, only opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you saw about five months ago, <clears throat> Central Texas had some of the biggest floods they'd ever had. Right, yeah. You know, we lost like 25 boats. Jeez. And uh, someone that was with our – my children were around, and one of our boys said, man, we really have a flood problem. And one of my smart, like 20-year-olds said, no, no. We have a flood opportunity. <laughs> so maybe they've taken that one a little too far. But if you, we honestly sort of say, okay, everything's not going my way. What is going to come from this? You know, before we got on the call, mm-hmm. you and I discussed mm-hmm. my badly broken ankle. Yeah. And I instantly said, okay, I get a chance to show, you know, my sons were with me at the time and the rest of my family that I may actually be more productive. Yeah, I'm going to be more available on all the things that don't involve my writing, mm-hmm. and it gives, and maybe I can model a little bit of positivity. Right. And frankly, I feel better too. So, to take a step back, do less and focus more on a narrative of strength. Mm-hmm. When you struggle, you come away stronger. Yeah. When you fail, you are learning. When you have this disagreement with your friend, and I make you not only, or I uh, encourage you not only to fix it yourself, but do it in person and not via text, you're developing skills that other teenagers don't have. Yeah, there's a a great book on this that I I listened to by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way, Um, and it's based on the Stoic philosophies, but it's, it's a really interesting way to approach the idea that, all right, this broken ankle is by getting through this. I'm going to be in a better place as long as I handle the journey through it in the right frame of mind with the right Absolutely. narrative. Or my, my ability, I, I, we've done a real good job of this. I'm proud of this one. Our teenage boys and girls at camp love not having the phones. <laughs> yep, so do ours. <laughs> but part of the reason is they're not stuck in all of the junk, you know, mm-hmm. all the, the stuff that you take two steps away from is not nearly as important as you convince yourself at the time. But we frame it through a lens of power. Mm-hmm. You have a superpower your friends don't have. You can live two weeks, three weeks without a phone. Yeah. Which means that when you go home, you can turn it off. They can't. You own your phone. Their phones own them. So you see, that's a whole narrative. I love that idea. Right. So parents can say, hey, you know, you have abilities your friends don't have. Another one, if you have younger kids, be the last one to give them a smartphone. Mm. Get in a competition with your friends to be the last one. <laughs> that awful parent that is the last one to give them a smartphone because, you know, that's what Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and Linda Gates did. Yeah. You know, huh. if, if their kids are going to play video games, let them play at their friend's house. But don't be the place where they get sucked in there. And then... Why do you not have video games? Because I want you to have control. Right. Oh, and that's, People who design these things are really, really good at designing them so that you don't have control. Yeah. That's, that's the key there. 
I love that. So, Steve, you know, you're very widely read, uh, and you've been thinking about this a long time. What what resources would you suggest to parents? Are there any books or, or podcasts or, or blogs that you've listened to and read that, that you would pass on? Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of a woman named Lenora Skenazy. Oh, yeah. Free-range kids. Uh, Free-range kids. But she and, and Jonathan Haidt, who oh, I'm going to recommend yeah. a book in a second, created a, uh, a website called letgrow.org. So letgrow.org is what communities can do to help make kids more anti-fragile. And one of the recommendations, and this is going to sound like heresy, but they find a way to leave playgrounds open for an hour after school hmm. with no adult supervision. Or one <laughs> adult somewhere that in case someone has to call 911, they're there, right. but the adult is not getting in the middle of fights. And what they actually find is that the level of bullying goes down. Interesting. Because Ultimately, the kids will self-police. They don't want to bully. Right. They'd rather just play. But and they're not going to look to the teacher or the whoever's watching it to solve it. They're going to figure it out themselves. Right. Exactly. And the message here, it's sort of a meta message, is if there's no adult here, that means we're okay. Mm-hmm. So the adults vetted this. My parents vetted this. My teachers vetted this. So we must be capable of solving our own problems. You know, when we get involved in our kids' homework or in their struggles, it's only because we love them, but the message it sends is because they're incapable. All right. And that's, a, that's, this a, scary, that's a scary one. Yeah. If, if every time, let's assume my ankle is okay, but if every time you and I were together, every time you're about to walk out a door, I open the door for you and I open the door to your car, and then I, you know, I offer to give you a few bucks before you went out someplace else, at some point you're going to say, Hey, basket. I'm okay. I'm a big boy. You know, I've got three kids of my own. <laughs> I can navigate the world. I don't need you to help me. You know, you only help people who need help. And kids get this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you let them go on their own, that helps. So the letgrow.org is there. A free range kids. I think it's freerangekids.org, but it mm-hmm. might be free range kids. Dot com. Philoroskidazy work is great. Uh, it's about 12 years old, but the first person that kind of talked about this was a woman named Wendy Bogle, <laughs> who wrote a book called The Blessings of the Skin Knee, and I think that still plays very, very well. She comes and, up quite a bit in our talks. <laughs> but I'll tell you, the, the best piece that synthesizes a whole bunch of ideas right now in my mind is a book called The Coddling of the American Mind that came out last year mm-hmm. by Jonathan Haidt and uh, Jeff Lukianoff. Mm-hmm. And it, it does a really remarkable job of sweeping a lot of trends together. And part of it is, is sort of the over-parenting trend. But he, they also talk about how combining that with social media is accelerating a problem that is already <clears throat> getting worse. So if children are more anxious because of the way they've been raised, and then you put them on social media, right. it accelerates it. Yeah. So social media by itself is not the cause of all the anxiety. But it's the social media... Yeah, it's an accelerator of kids who are now more prone to feel fragile than resilient and generally almost never prone to feel anti 
Interesting. Interesting. So, so parents, focus on the narrative. Let your children fail, and then talk about that as growth. Let them struggle and talk about that as gaining strength. Let them not have phones and talk about that as gaining power. Wow. What what can the teachers do? I think the teachers can focus more on learning and less on high-stakes testing. If there's anything in their power that can reduce the sort of fear of failure that's created by constant testing, that's useful. Now, is that in their power? I don't know. Right, yeah. But that's one of the things that makes parents and kids more anxious. Coaches is, I. if I could choose my child's coach, I want someone who wants my child to grow into a great human being and not a coach that wants my child to win. Amen. <laughs> no, they could be the same thing. They can. They could be the yes. same thing. There's a book called, uh, oh my gosh, it's about Joe Ehrman. Oh, yes. Uh, Seasons oh, of Life. Seasons of Life. Great Fantastic book. book. He wins all the time, but he does not care about winning. He's all about transformation. You remember the book. Every kid who tries out yep. plays every game. They love each other. Regularly, right, yeah, they love each other. Yeah. They write about injustice. They talk about their own eulogies. And they're regularly ranked in the top ten in the nation in private school football. Yeah. But Ehrman is interested in transforming youth. So with every coach I have as a parent, I would ask, is this person going to build strength and capability in my child? Or is there a weird transaction where this child will teach, this coach will teach my child skills? And my child will deliver that coach and his or her ego victories or continued employment. And if the purpose from the, the coach's point of view is to win games and not develop young men and women, I think it's a coach I would avoid. Yeah, gotcha. Oh, man. Steve, as always, I've, I love spending time with you <laughs> and listening. <laughs> so and there, I know a lot of people have certainly enjoyed this as much as I have. How can people learn for, more from you, you know, get in touch with you, you know, learn more about what you do uh, there at Camp Champions? Well, uh, uh, campchampions.com. Mm -hmm. uh, my email is stevebb, S-T-E-V-E-B, -E -E campchampions.com. Uh, I'm not a big social media guy. I mean, uh, the camp is, but I find it less interesting. I'm kind of a face-to-face -face guy. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would be delighted to engage somebody. I do have a blog on uh, psychology today called uh, S'mores and More. Mm -hmm. And I also write a lot on the Camp Champions blog site. Uh, so I think you're going to put up a couple of videos. I am. Uh, which would be, which are... You know, if you listen to either one of those and don't like what I have to say, you can be, pretty much be done with it. But <laughs> there are prob there's several hundred blogs buried in the Camp Champions uh, blog under uh, uh, current families. You push current family hit blog. But, uh, and I'll put all that I, up in the show notes. Absolutely. And I would love anyone who wants to challenge some of this. Mm. I mean, I, one of the things I also loved about the Colony of the American Mind is how this was a book that came from an article that was written three or four years earlier where they had modified and improved their hypothesis like four times in the period of that time. And I don't know, I don't care about being right. I want to find the right answer. And if, if we can find the right answer as to what helps make kids more capable, more caring, 
more able to thrive and not just survive through life or through summer camp, that's information we can share with other people. Yeah. And that's what gets me up. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's fun to run a camp. You know, I love running Camp Champions. I've been involved in a couple other camps as well. But ultimately for me, it's can we find a way to make a difference in kids' lives? And right now, making kids anti-fragile and giving them tech-free experiences are the two strongest arguments for the camp experience. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. But if there is disagreement, please contact me, anyone out there. Uh, I am looking to learn. Here, here. Awesome. Well, and and thank you for helping us all learn uh, from your standpoint and and your research and your thoughts. Um, I know you guys run great shows down there at, at Camp Champions for your kids, and and I agree with you. You know, we're lucky to get to run camp, but really the whole idea is that it's a vehicle for creating good humans. Um, well, and, and parenting with parents. Look what you're do doing, that. Cole. Well, you, 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 <laughs> the work you're doing right now, this this podcast, does <laughs> comes with effort. You yeah. could have done something else with your time than this program, and you're you're helping all of this function at a higher level. So, you know, uh, if this is going out to camp professionals, uh, I say hello to my fellow brethren and, and uh, encourage us all to keep doing the work. And if this is parents, uh, I think we're we're lucky to have people like, like you mm. helping us helping lead the way. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, pal. Well, unfortunately, we got to douse a fire and put up the s'more sticks and get back to it. <laughs> Uh, but Steve, thank you so much, pal. We'll, we'll see you around the campfire again. All right. Thank you, Cole. Well, it's time to douse the campfire, put up the s'more sticks, and head back to it. I hope you've enjoyed this campfire conversation with Steve Baskin. He's given me a lot to think about regarding the stories that I'm telling myself and the stories that I'm helping my boys and our summer camp kids develop for themselves going forward. Thanks for stopping by. Please make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or you can listen to it online at our website, campfireconversation.com. And please make sure to tell your friends. Our campfire circle is big enough for everyone who wants to join. Until we talk again, I hope you have a grateful week. Thanks again to our friends at Scope for sponsoring the Campfire Conversation podcast. Scope stands for Summer Camp Opportunities Promote Education. They provide children from underserved communities with life-changing opportunities through the experience of summer camp. Scope campers benefit from a positive, safe, and healthy environment led by excellent role models who give them the chance to develop their full potential. We both believe that summer camp reinforces what children learn in school and enhances overall academic learning. If you would like to help give some wonderful children a life-changing experience, I hope you'll join me in supporting Scope. You can find them online at scopeusa.org and on social media at supportscope.